Well, hello, Heritage. I want to welcome all of you across our network, our family at Bentendorf, those joining us online, and all of you here at Rock Island. As we continue in our what-if journey through the book of Philippians, we've just got a, two more weeks after this weekend before we wrap up this series, and it's been a great journey. It's been highly impactful, and I love seeing the artist gallery expressions that are in each of the lobbies of our network. If you haven't had a chance to check them out, I really encourage you to do that. These are things that have been created by Heritage family members inspired by Scripture, and, and I encourage you today, before you head out, to spend some time in your lobby checking out how the Word of God has inspired your family member to just reflect His truth. I love how the Word of God is powerful enough to inspire artistic expression. The Word of God is powerful enough to position us to live life to the full. And last week we looked specifically at how we can know Christ. Paul himself, he said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Those are powerful words. The dude's like, I want to know Jesus, and I want to know his power, and share in his sufferings, and in his death. And if you're someone who's new to the faith conversation, or you're new to following Jesus, you may be thinking to yourself, I get the knowing Jesus and knowing his power, but the whole suffering and death thing feels a little bit odd, a little weird, maybe even sadistic. (laughs) To desire suffering. Now I get the tension that you're feeling, but it's not as odd as you think. It's uncommon, but it's not odd. See, there's a difference between seeking to share in the sufferings of Jesus and seeking suffering. See, to seek to share in suffering is, is not the same as pursuing it. That's your first feeling if you're tracking along in the note guide. Seeking to share in suffering is not the same as pursuing suffering. We're not pursuing suffering. We're pursuing Him, even if it means suffering. One of my favorite authors is Oswald Chambers. I just love the way he connects Scripture and life together. And he he had this to say about this subject. He said, choosing to suffer means that there must be something wrong with you. But choosing God's will, even if it means you will suffer, is something very different. Sacrificing, suffering for something greater, sacrificing for the the glory of God and the good of people, that's not weird and sadistic. That's beautiful and noble. Even if others don't fully understand it. Even if we can't wrap our minds fully around the suffering we're having to endure. It's noble. It's beautiful. No healthy person desires or chases suffering. (laughs) None. Yet the Christ follower chooses the will of God, just like Jesus, whether it means suffering or not. And one of the ways that we get to live that out is looking for the opportunities God brings in front of us to love and serve people, specifically here in the Quad Cities, because that's where we live. And every time we sacrifice so that the gospel can be seen, the gospel, gospel can be felt, the gospel can be heard, understood, we get to see the power of the resurrection at work in the life of people. We get to see that happening. And God is increasingly positioning us as a church to do that more and more in lots of different places. But one of the places he's done that with great favor is through the Esperanza Center. And I want to give you a chance to hear from somebody who is not a member of our church family, but is a member of our community, and their perspective and impact that it has had on them and those around them. Their name is Bob Vogelbaugh, but you may know him better as Mr. Thanksgiving. So check this out. 
Hi, I'm here today to really say a huge, huge thank you to Heritage Slash Esperanza Center. I've been a crossing guard uh, for the Moline uh, Police, uh, who's my employer now. This will be my seventh year. Five years here when it was Erickson School, and then this is my second year here down at Esperanza Center. And uh, five years ago when I heard the building was going up for sale, I was uh, disappointed that it was being sold, but God took care of us. And then right after it got sold, I was still here, uh, being placed here through my employer, the Bowling Police Department, as the, to continue as a crossing guard for the children meeting here to catch the uh, Metrolink bus to take them up to Lincoln Irving School. And so my relationship now is going on two years with Heritage uh, Esperanza Center because when they came to me right after school started last year and said they were going to open up uh, the facility so the children could wait in here I wouldn't have to be, be waiting outside any day it's just not incumbent whether they're here uh, been here for the whole school year which is absolutely wonderful with everything that they offer inside for the children from games to uh, breakfast uh, food and everything else and the 90% of the people here are volunteers that have other jobs to go to and they're absolutely wonderful and I said it's I don't know it's just been like a, a big blessing a big relief off my shoulders what was I going to do with these children uh, waiting for the bus and I can't say thank you it's a huge thank you but it does come from the bottom of my heart I love everybody down here they can't be any nicer and I don't know how much more I could say than a huge thank you but thank God that they put uh, them here so we had all this wonderful stuff going on. Ah, man, listen, I love being able to be part of a church that understands that the being the church is not just about setting aside part of one day to be in one place to listen to one guy, but that the church is to live on mission every day, everywhere, for everybody. And if you want to know how you can connect into some of the opportunities Esperanza Center in your worship folder today is more information that you can lean into if God's stirring you there. If not there, there's other places in our network where we can live sent in the Quad Cities and see the glory of God through the sacrifices and the investments that we're making. But I've got to let you know, listen, God positions his people where they can bring him glory. And we don't get to decide the legitimacy of those places based on the level of suffering or not. We're incapable of doing that. We, we, don't, we don't know and we can't see the things God sees. That's why Paul said, I want to know him. I don't just want to know what to do. I want to know him. And so today as we dig back into Philippians, I want to unpack some of the implications of how we actually do that as we continue in our what-if journey. But before we open up the Word of God today, I've got to ask a question of all of us. And I'm betting, if you hop in on this too. I'd love for you to raise your hand if you've ever had the nagging feeling that you were forgetting something. Raise your hand high if you've ever had the nagging feeling that you were forgetting something. If somebody's elbowing you, just put your hand up anyway because you forgot to raise your hand. All right? Okay, yeah, look, a lot of us do that. I mean, we forget things. I think that I have been, I have forgotten more than I remember. And there are times I feel more forgetful than, than in other times. I realize that the way our culture works, the fast-paced, multitasking realities of life can, can contribute to forgetfulness, but sometimes we can just simply be forgetful. 
So what do we do? We ask people to remind us, right? We make lists, and we make lists of lists. And then we set reminders in our phone or other devices. We'll, we'll even actually fill out little yellow stickies and place them everywhere so we don't forget. One of the things that I have done when I'm wearing a watch and I need to remember something, I'll turn it over so that when I realize it's upside down, it'll remind me of that thing. I'll even take my ring and move it to another finger. And so when I see that ring moved, I, oh, that's a reminder for me. The hard part comes when I see the ring moved and I don't remember why I moved it. It happens. We, we, we can forget things, but we, we also have ways to remind ourselves because we can't forget. There was an elderly couple that was experiencing some memory lapses. And it was significant enough, they went to the doctor. And the doctor said, look, it, it's, it's not a big deal, nothing major, this is just part of life, this, the age and stage of life that you're at, it's okay. But I want to encourage you to put in some practices that will mitigate that forgetfulness. Like, just write some things down. Write down the things you need to do so you don't forget. And so the couple went home, and that night they were watching TV, and the wife said to her husband, honey, would you mind getting me a, a bowl of ice cream from the kitchen? And do you need to write that down? <laughs> He said, I don't need to write that down. I can remember, get a bowl of ice cream. She said, no, you don't understand. I, I, I want ice cream, but I want strawberries, chocolate syrup, whipped cream, and a cherry. Do you need to write that down? Said, I do not need to write that down. I can remember ice cream, strawberries, chocolate syrup, whipped cream, and a, and a cherry. And he stormed off into the kitchen. Moments later, she heard the banging of pots and pans. Then a number of minutes later, he came out and delivered in front of her a plate of scrambled eggs and bacon. <laughs> She was clearly disappointed. She was just shaking her head in disappointment. And she looked up from the eggs to her husband's face, confidently said, what about the toast I asked for? <laughs> we can be forgetful. And there are things that we don't want to forget. There are things we should never forget. Let me just help everybody out. We'll go through a couple of things you should never forget. Here's the first thing. You should never forget your spouse's name. Never forget your spouse's name. You should also never forget your kid's birthday. Don't forget your kid's birthday or your wedding anniversary. Don't forget to pay taxes. Don't forget Pastor Appreciation Month. How'd that get in there? That's not till October. I apologize. We'll just continue down this list of things that we should never forget. With brush your teeth, tie your shoes, take medications, vitamins. These are things that we should never forget. There are things we do not want to forget. But then there are things we actually do want to forget. Things we need to forget. Things we need to move beyond. But really, the, the interest we have in forgetting or not forgetting often depends on that particular thing. We could even say it this way, that our attitude toward forgetting is typically circumstantial. It's circumstantial. Our desire to remember, our desire to forget is based on the particular thing. We have things we don't want to forget, but then there are things in our life, there is junk in our life, there's baggage in our life, stuff that we've done or experienced, things that have happened to us that we want to forget. It might be a mistake that we've made publicly or privately. It might be a, an incredibly awkward or embarrassing moment in your life journey. It could be a point in your life where you were a victim of something. It could be a tra tragic or painful loss in life. It could even be an addiction 
where we wish we'd never known that thing that now owns part of us and burdens us. We all have stuff in our lives that we want to forget. Junk that can hang around our neck like an albatross, like the one in the rhyme of the ancient mariner. Encumbrances. Things that burden us down. But, but what if we let go of what was behind and chased after what could be? What if we chased what was ahead? What if we let go of what was behind and chased after what was ahead, what could be? If we did that, what would happen in our lives? What could happen in your life? What could God do? What does he want to do if we lived by chasing what was ahead and forgetting what was behind? As we dig into Paul's letter to the church in Philippi today, we're going to see him working out this forgetting and chasing reality, this pressing forward reality. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and turn with me to the book of Philippians in the New Testament. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. And this is a letter written to a church plant. It's actually the first church plant through Paul's ministry in Europe. It was located in what is now modern-day Greece. And it was a letter that Paul was writing to say thank you. He was writing to encourage, but also admonish and challenge to more. And I'm going to read through our passage of Scripture today. And then we're going to walk back through and dig through a couple of sections of it. It's not going to be on the screen, so I encourage you to follow along in your Bible or just sit back and listen. Most of that scripture is in your note guide scattered throughout. But as I read through it, observe what scripture is saying. Interpret what it's saying, and I start to apply it. What is is God saying? What does it mean? And how do I live? And use the notes in your note guide, those spaces, to just capture what God's saying as we read his word today. So here we go. Let's jump on into it. Philippians chapter 3, starting with verse 12. And this is going to run into the beginning of chapter 4. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, Dear friends, last week we looked at how Paul was restructuring his values, how an absolute conviction and passion for for the things of Jesus and his kingdom dominated his life. It was where he made that declaration about wanting to know Jesus. Back into verse 10 and verse 11, this is what he said, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. 
This, this focus right here was the reason why Paul could have joy amidst adversity. This is why he was content in the complexities of life. This is why he could persevere in beatings and hardship. This was the secret for his ability to do that. And he says, look, I give up everything Everything to know Jesus. I don't just want to know about him, to actually know him, to know his power, to have fellowship with him, to share in sufferings, even to look like him. And although this was Paul's single sold out goal, he readily acknowledges that he's not there yet. He says, I'm all in, but I'm still working it out. I'm on my way. Look with me back in verse 12 of chapter 3. He says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Listen, friends, Jesus loves you. He has more for you. But the things of this life, they can keep us from pressing on and pressing in. We can think we've made too many mistakes. Which is, it's too late. We've made too many mistakes, but that's not true. We can think, look, I've tried before, but I never really reached true freedom, and I fell back into it. It's pointless. It is not true. In Jesus, we can be free. And Paul's saying, look, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm pushing forward. I'm not giving up. I'm not going back. Look at verse 13. He says this, brothers and sisters, do not consider, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He's right here talking about the relationship we can have with God because of Jesus. It can start here. When we make a decision to follow Jesus, it, he inherently connects us in relationship with God. It begins here, but it lasts for eternity. And it's a beautiful, wonderful thing that we can actually have when we step into eternity. It starts here, it gets way better in the future, but even now we can press in and forward to experience more and more of what it means to follow Jesus. What if we let go of what was behind and chased after what was ahead? Listen, our past can be an incredibly in powerful influence in our life, for, for good or for bad. It's even reflected in our language. We, we say things like, your past will catch up with you, it'll find you out. We say we're doomed to repeat the past if we don't learn from the past. It's in our language. Our past can be very powerful. It can be helpful or it can be hurtful. And Paul says, I am so focused on Jesus. So, so focused so that what's behind me is behind me. And I'm moving forward. I'm only worried about one thing. One thing. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on. I press on. You know, there's a reoccurring theme in the Bible about not looking back when following God. It's all layered throughout. One of the most obvious, simple examples is the story in Genesis 19 where Lot's wife looks back as they're fleeing Sodom and Gomorrah. She's not supposed to. She looks back and she turns into a pillar of salt. That's an easy one to look to. But throughout Scripture, lots of different examples of not looking back when we're trying to follow forward with God. It's even in our songs, the songs we sing. I, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning. Yeah, very good. You got it. it, it that idea of looking back, that's an obstacle. That, look, there is always a cost of following Jesus, but not everybody will make the cut down the road because they're unwilling to pay the cost now. 
Even Jesus talked about this reality. In Luke chapter 9, he's walking down the road. A guy comes up to him and he says, I will follow you wherever you go. And then Jesus says this to him in verse 58. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And then Jesus said to another man, follow me. But that man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And then, then Jesus says in verse 62, he says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. No one who leans forward with Jesus and then looks back is fit for service. He's saying, look, there's no procrastination involved in this. There should be no looking backward. We can't put God first if we're looking back. Maybe we could say it this way, that we are incapable of following God while looking backward. We're incapable of following God while looking backward. If if we're going to follow him, it's forward. Not focusing on what's, what's behind. But when we're looking back, we can't stay on task. The, the closest thing I can think of as somebody who can do that decently would be a, a football player, a defensive back who's covering a wide receiver. They're following the wide receiver down the road, but they're looking at the quarterback to see where the pass is going to go, where their eyes are going. Many of them can do that incredibly well, but at some point, they can't just keep looking at the quarterback. They've got to look to see where the wide receiver is or they break contact they're no longer following. Even the best of them lose track if they look back the whole time. We are incapable of following God by looking backward. Now, hear me. There is some value, some value for looking behind. We can look back to learn lessons. We can look back to be reminded of his faithfulness. That's redemptive. But if we look back and it leads us to guilt or shame, that is not of God. If we look backward and it keeps us from moving forward, that is not of God. We're off track. We've got to make sure that when we look back, it's only a glance, not a look. If we're looking and we're fixing our eyes back there and we're trusting that and we're hoping on the things that are behind, we are messed up and we're missing it. And we'll never live into the things God has for us. We're capable of following God by looking backward. You ever heard the statement, burn the ships? It it comes from uh, the investments of Spanish conquistador Hernando Cortez. You see, this guy had a, a singular focus at one point in his life where he wanted to obtain the vast riches of the Aztec Empire. He was so committed to it, and he was such an excellent motivator, he convinced 500 soldiers, 100 sailors, and was able to obtain 11 ships to sail from Spain to Mexico with the sole task of conquering the Aztecs and securing the riches there. Now, in order to successfully do that, the first thing that that Cortez had to do is he had to get the buy-in of his men and remove the option of failure. So when they arrived on the Yucatan in, in Mexico, he gathered his men for a peck talk before leading them into battle. And he spoke three words that changed history. Burn the ships. Now you can imagine he was met with resistance. <laughs> I mean, that was their way home. There was a safety net, their fallback plan, escape plan. If things didn't go the way they thought, things got difficult, they could go back to the ships. But despite the resistance, Cortez said it again, burn the ships. And then he said, if we're going home, we're going home on their ships. 
So Cortez and his men burned the ships. And immediately their commitment level went from here to here. Whole nother level, way beyond what Cortez and his men could have ever imagined. Now they would go on to successfully accomplish their mission and conquer the Aztecs, something that could not be done for 600 years before. Nobody could do it for 600 years. Now, that story for me has sadness and tragedy just in what happened and how it happened. But I don't share it for you to endorse the mission. I share it for you to understand the strength of the method. The reason they were successful was full forward commitment. All other options were removed and that changed everything. And there's a principle that's contained in that that we need to understand. That removing options multiplies determination. Removing options multiplies what? Determination. Determination brings power. It multiplies fervor. It, it, it forces action. And Cortez and his men had no escape plan. They had no fallback plan. They didn't and couldn't look back. They had no choice. It was succeed or die. Their ships were burned. There was, they had no way to get back except to go forward. And by removing the options, Cortez and his men were forced to focus how they could make the mission successful. And that's a strong and powerful position. And I think it's the same position that Paul is reflecting as he writes Philippians chapter 3. You may say, yeah, that's right, amen, huh? <laughs> I got to tell you, more often than not, we tend to keep our ships too often when it comes to following God, we keep the ships. We maintain a backup plan. We, we maintain a fallback position. We maintain a little piece of our former life just in case. <laughs> we don't forget what is behind and expectantly strive for what is ahead. And then we end up wondering why life isn't going very well and why God isn't doing something cooler or better. But to truly live for him, we have to have an attitude like Cortez and Paul. Neither of them had a crutch or a fallback position. They didn't keep any other options. It was simply succeed or die. And that's the level of motivation and commitment that we need to have. The, the burn your ships kind of level of commitment. We, it takes away the excuses. We burn the ships that keep us from achieving all that God wants for us. It may be a relationship. It may be a failure or a tragedy in our life. Those things must be burned. Not dismantled or run aground. <laughs> burned. Destroyed. If we know that there are ships behind us, then when the going gets difficult, we run for the ships. It's human nature. Look, when I stepped out of state police and into full-time ministry, that first season in full-time ministry was hellacious. Awful. The, the drama... The, the power plays, the backbiting, the maligning, the lies, the, the, all the complexity. It was everything of why I never wanted to be a pastor. <laughs> but I knew when I left the state police that I could never go back. It was an unwritten rule. You quit, you're done. And God knew that too. Because he knew what I needed to remain faithful. To the task he had called me to. To chase forward and not chase behind. So when he said, Sean, quit, step into the church, he was saying, burn the ships, and I did. And I needed it, because if I could have gone back, I would have. I would have picked up the phone and gone back, and I wouldn't be here today. 
But Cortez did not allow his men the option of returning to Spain in failure. And Paul did not keep the option of going back to his previous life and trusting the things he once counted as gain. It was now just Jesus. Just Jesus. Remember what he said in chapter 1, verse 21. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What if we let go of what was behind and chased after what was ahead? You know, the bottom line for me in this is simply that whatever prevents pressing on with God must be burned. Whatever prevents pressing on forward with God must be burned. And let me, let me clarify, this is not an invitation to go out of here and set fires and become a pyromaniac. That's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm talking about letting go, setting aside, giving up, giving away, selling, discarding, whatever keeps you from chasing forward. For Paul, he did that as he counted all things that he used to put confidence in as loss. He let go of everything to follow Jesus. And he says back in verse 13, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, what is back there, forgetting about what once was, and straining forward, stretching forward toward what is ahead, fighting for it, no matter the cost, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what is behind. Listen, that forgetting what is behind doesn't mean there's no remembrance. We still have a memory. We still have remembrance, but it means we, we let go of the negative influence of the power it has to shape us or burden us or even limit us. To forget means we no longer are consumed by it, no longer giving it power or wrapping up our heart and identity in it, but instead wrapping our heart and identity in Jesus and letting him define that. Because in Christ, what was has no power over you. The things that were have no power over who we are in him today. And that's why Paul writes in verses 15 and 16. He says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. He says, up to, not back to. It's up to. It's forward. What if we let go of what was behind and chased after what was ahead? It could change everything. Let me bring this to so what. And there's really just one key reality that I, that I want to sit in and, and invite you to take into your quiet time. Just to process who you are in your journey with God. It's a simple reality that faith is inherently oriented forward. Faith is inherently oriented forward. It is always demonstrated in forward living, forward motion. We cannot follow God if we're always looking backward. Faith requires trust in every step, trust in moving forward, trust in not knowing everything, trust in stepping with belief. It means stepping into a future without specific guarantees, but choosing to believe that the best is still yet to come in Jesus. Faith is inherently oriented forward. And the Bible describes faith as being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is inherently oriented forward. It's not about who you were. It's not about what you've done or where you've been. It's about what can be. It's forward. 
Jesus removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. When we burn the ships and lean into him, fully into him, that's forward. And Paul talks about it this way, verse 20 and on. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Faith is inherently oriented forward. And if your faith is marked by looking behind, it's not truly the faith God has for you. If you're trusting and relying on the ships behind for your hope and your confidence, and your safety, you're living a lesser life. Faith is inherently ordered, oriented forward. So I want to ask you one question as we close. What do you need to forget? What do you need to forget to move forward with Jesus? What are the ships in your life, the things keeping you from living into all that God has the things that are keeping you looking backward instead of looking forward. Paul was forgetting his time as a persecutor, his sins, his ups and downs in life. The, the dude experienced beatings and, and shipwrecks and imprisonment, all kinds of hardship. In some ways, I think he even had an addiction. It was an addiction to the law at one point in his life. And we're told by Scripture that he had a thorn in his flesh. But verses 13 and 14 of chapter 3 are Paul's ship-burning ceremony. And I'm done. I'm done with that stuff. What are your life's ships? What do you need to forget? Or even better yet, what do you need to remember that you have forgotten and never should have? Faithfulness of God. The goodness of God. You know, if you don't know how to answer that question, you're not really sure, let me just run a few statements past you that may illuminate some ships in your life. If you're a person who says, look, that's just how I am. I've always been this way. Instead of asking who does God want me to be? That's a ship. It may have gotten you to where you are today, but it will not get you where you need to go. It's a ship. If you say, I can never forgive, I can never forget that thing, fill in the blank. That's a ship. And if you're saying that, let me ask you, how can you say that? Why do you say that? Is it because you're looking forward into the future or are you looking backward into the past? Because we can't follow God if we're always looking backward. And, and let me caution you with the use of the word never. Be really careful when you say that about the things of God. Because Paul's getting ready to go on to say just 12 verses from where we're stopping. See, look, I can do all things through, strength, through Christ who gives me strength. It's true for him and it can be true for you. It can be true for us when we have the same level of commitment and surrender and submission that Paul had, when we give our heart and our mind and our life to Jesus, when we count all things at loss except for Christ. You know, that's something you've never stepped into. I want, you can do that today. On the back of your sermon note guide at the very top are, are some simple instructions and an example prayer where you can today begin the journey and the greatest adventure ever forward, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. 
by having this conversation with God and asking Jesus to take control of your life. This is where it begins. And if you're someone who has already done that, done that before, you may be finding yourself today in a bargaining scenario, saying, okay, I've chosen this to follow you, Jesus, but what, let me keep this over here. How, how can I keep this over here and still have you on the side? The answer is you can't. He has to be Lord. He has to have all authority. If you're trying to bargain and hold on to a piece over here, that's a ship. You need to burn it. You need to get rid of it. What are your life's ships? Think. Right, right now, right where you're at, think for a moment. Talk to God right where you're at. What are your life's ships? Whatever is keeping you from pressing fully forward with God must be burned. Past mistake, an unhealthy priority, an unhealthy relationship, an unhealthy habit. The, the need to forgive another person. That can be a ship. Maybe you were arrested and imprisoned just like Paul, but unlike Paul, you wish you forget, could forget that thing you did. What's your ship? If you have ships to burn, today is the day. Today is the day. If you need to get right with God for the first time or in a rededication moment, today is the day. I'm not going to insult your intelligence or your ability to discern what God is saying to you. I simply want to leave you with this and encourage you with this. Listen, when God speaks, say yes. When God says let go, let go. When God says remove something from your life, remove it. When he says leave behind the negative self-talk, leave it behind. And when he says burn the ships, burn them. What if we let go of what was behind and chased after what was ahead? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, it is in the name of Jesus that I come before you with my brothers and sisters boldly, not because of anything we've done, but because of what he has done. We approach your throne right now, and I ask that you, by your spirit, would continue to work and move in our hearts and minds right now. Father, I pray, we're, I pray that you would forgive us for the times that we have forgotten things we never should have forgotten. Your faithfulness, your goodness, your promises. And I pray that you forgive us for clinging to and hanging to things we should have forgotten, those ships we should have burned long ago. But God, in these next few moments, as we step back into worship through song, I pray that you would continue to speak to each one of my brothers and sisters, that you would reveal the ships in, in our lives that we need to burn, the things that you want to set us free from so that we can, we can forget what is behind and we can fix our eyes and orient ourselves forward as we chase the things that are ahead. God, I know that you have more for us through your son, Jesus. And I pray that you would position us to do that with wisdom, with courage, with boldness, to be able to light the match and burn those things that we have once counted as gain and to choose to count Jesus as the sole focus of our gain and our hope. So Lord, in these moments, speak. I thank you for your willingness to do that. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.